From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 317. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, ExpressVPN, and Hover. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snow. Hello, Jason Snow. Hello, Mike Hurley. You survived a big week last week. Yep. yep. Big we week. Bo- we both did. It was a huge week. We'll talk about that as the episode goes on. Uh, we are back to normal now. This is our first regular episode we are in what i have uh dubbed but not it's not like official like summer of fun we're in the fall of content now that's it's okay before the winter of discontent we're yes. in the fall of content fall of content yeah that's, that's that are. is how it works mm-hmm. and we have a hashtag mm-hmm. snow talk question today's question comes from paul and paul wants to know jason when typing on your mac do you mistakenly type in a double space hoping to create a period like you would on your iphone no Interesting. What about? I have a secondary <laughs> question for you. Secondary question. For okay. You. All There's right. The reason I included this because I, I knew think, you. Were I think say my no. brain, my brain on a touch screen on a, on the iPhone or iPad mm-hmm. software keyboard is doing something very different than if I'm but using you do, a traditional keyboard. You do. You do use the double space for period in the. I will. I, I, by the way, I have to change now. Paul says period. I say full stop. So I'm now going to switch back sure. to my native tongue. Uh, hello, so, hello, governor. Uh, you use a full <laughs> stop when you're cleaning the chimneys. No, do you, when you're on the iPhone and on the iPad software keyboard, you use the double tap the uh, space bar for a full stop. Um, I think I do it on the iPhone a lot because on the iPhone, I'm definitely in the mode of just mashing the keys and hoping that autocorrect figures it out. Mm-hmm. And and the double tap on the space bar is part of that. Is it a full stop bar, Mike? No, it's a space bar. <laughs> it's just a space bar, okay. Because it doesn't make a, it doesn't make the full stop unless you press it twice. Then it's a full stop. Exactly. Bar. Then it's full stop bar. Yeah, and and the and the British word for space is space. So I have another question for you. <laughs> and is enter and return are they the same thing? I don't know. Anyway, they're shaped um, different. I think so. Anyway, so okay. when you're on the iPad and you're on the software keyboard on the iPad, do you do it then? I, I think it varies. Right. Um, and that's because. Um, I have a couple of different ways of typing on my iPad. I would say when I'm like holding my iPad in two hands and sort of thumb typing, mm-hmm. I'm treating it like an iPhone and I'm just trying to get the words out and hope they autocorrect to the right thing so I don't have to go back. But sometimes I've got my iPad in my lap and I'm using two and I'm using like many fingers to type mm-hmm. and that's different. Then I'm sort of in keyboard mode. Like, uh, you know, physical keyboard mode because i'm actually pretty good at typing on the ipad if it's you know laying in my lap and i've got my two hands down on it i can go pretty fast and i'm pretty accurate it's just that most of the time i'm not doing that that that's more like i don't have a keyboard around and i need to do a bunch of text Mm. so i'm going to lay the ipad down on my lap and you know go to town on the keyboard but most of the time i don't do it most of the time right i'm i'm holding it and with two hands and kind of just trying to get the the words out Okay, so I do it on all software keyboards. On my mm. iPad, you, I've turned on the setting. There is a setting in the keyboards for like hardware keyboards. Yes. Um, that you, uh, if you double press a space bar on a physical keyboard of any kind attached to an iPad, it will add the full stop. This is something Apple puts into the software to allow you to do it. And Gasp. I also have a text expander uh, shortcut on my Mac to put two spaces as a full wow. stop. Wow. I've just gotten yeah. used to it, and I like so, it. I I don't like it, and and I, I, let me tell you, let me share with you what my hardware keyboard settings are on my iPad. I, I yes, it, I know, I know. Everything 
off, off including the capitalization I, I don't I want know, I know. capitalization I don't want correction I do I because with autocorrection when you're writing on an iPad as as people who work on their iPads right you're writing on an iPad and uh, you post a story and people are like whoa this, why did you use this word and I'm like Auto and then I immediately turn off all the autocorrection because that's a, that's a thing that really happens is autocorrect corrects the word you meant to a totally different word um, and as a writer can't happen just can't happen so all that stuff is off all of it you know one of the funny things about uh, I, I mostly pay attention pretty much only pay attention now to the live stream chat that we have in the Relay FM members discord yeah. And you know something contentious is happening when it says several people are typing, like it does in Slack. Uh, and, and as soon as I said about what I do in the uh, keyboard settings, it immediately turned into several people are typing for about 25 uh, seconds. So huh? I have no doubt that we're going to get a lot of follow-up about this. But do you know what? Here's the thing. You can That's get upset have settings. as you like, but Apple put those settings in. That's so, why they like, have settings. Yeah. Why would people get upset? I, I don't use your settings, mm-hmm. but... That's the beauty, beautiful thing about settings yeah. is that I can have it the way I want it and you can have it your terrible way mm-hmm. and it's all fine. We could maybe even call these ones upsettings if we wanted to. Uh, New segment, upsettings. <laughs> Eventually upgrade will be all verticals. That's mm-hmm. all verticals. If you would like to send in a question for a future episode of Upgrade to help us kick off a show like Paul did, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk or use question mark SnellTalk in the RelayFM members Discord. Uh, I'd like to take a brief moment to once again remind you all about why we are supporting St. Jude here at RelayFM throughout the month of September because you can uh, join us and, and help support this incredible charity of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in honor of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, which runs throughout September. St. Jude combines the very best in personalized care with one of the most technologically advanced treatment clinics in the world. It's called the Red Frog Therapy Center, and it is the first proton therapy center in the world dedicated solely to children with cancer with the ability to kill and shrink tumors while keeping healthy tissues and organs safe. And the donations of people like you allow St. Jude to afford this incredible Incredibly cutting-edge technology. St. Jude will continue to research the use of proton therapy, preventing the growth and spread of tumors while reducing the risk of treatment-related side effects. And again, one of the fantastic things about St. Jude is that it is a research hospital. So what they learn from treating their patients, they share with the world. Donate to St. Jude today at stjude.org relay to support the advancement of childhood cancer research. Again, that is stjude.org relay to donate today. Uh, last Friday, we had the uh, second ever podcast-a-thon, which was our six-hour event that we streamed. Uh, you can get If you've missed it and you want to watch it, we've put, put it on YouTube, and we've posted the audio in our kind of live event feed, which is called Departures. I'll make sure both of those are in the show notes. Um, this, the, the second podcast-a-thon uh, was an absolute resounding success in every single measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was... You know, it was a lot of work from a lot of people, uh, and, and we got it all together, and we made it happen, and we we not only raised a lot of money, we raised a uh, hundred thousand dollars during the event, which was just unbelievable. Because of those incredible donation amounts, we actually hit our goal for the entire month. So we'd set $315,000 as our goal as a community to raise throughout the month of September. Um, and as I'm currently recording, uh, we're at $336,000 raised 
for St. Jude. So yep. you know, I just want to thank everybody that has donated. Uh, an incredible extra thank you to everybody who watched the podcast-a-ton, donated during the podcast-a-ton. But there's still a lot of September left, so let's just continue to push that higher and higher. And you know, again, thank you to everybody who played a part, including Jason, of course, for the, the wonderful game show that you put on, uh, which is available for people to watch uh, in the on the YouTube there as well. It was a two right, part two segments so. of it. You can check it out. It is based on the the great British game show. Uh, uh, sorry, Taskmaster. I almost called it Hostmaster. Taskmaster. It's called Hostmaster, where I am the hostmaster and I force Relay FM hosts to do silly things. And it's wonderful. Um, for charity and uh, that was it was a lot of fun to put that together but that was another one of the things that was happening last week <laughs> while everything else was going on is I had to furnish you with 40 minutes of a game show that I had yep. to edit together that was a lot um, I, one of the things that struck me and it struck me last year too but even more this year is how packed the podcast-a-thon was yeah. other than your personal exhaustion and I think maybe if you bulk up for next year if you like if you cross train or something mm-hmm. um, I felt like it was really cramped like I, I think you guys could have gone for eight hours or oh, ten we hours we ended up in terms going of the material uh, we, we did seven hours in yeah. total and uh, which was wild because it was when we were only had scheduled to do six and we we even cut content and we're going to be doing additional streams now throughout the rest of the year like the thing was uh jason we had planned to do eight hours this year like that was the the, Uh what we were going to do as the extension but then we had to do it all remotely and was like okay why don't we just uh scale it back yeah and also the longer we went the later it got for me right so like we finished uh, like I think 20 to 2 in the morning I think was when we ended up finishing mm-hmm. uh, but the final hour was I mean we, we ended up going an extra hour because it made us push to, to reach the goal yeah. and there was a special it. surprise guest and we had a special last surprise hour guest. because it, there was literally there was follow up mm-hmm. and of course it's follow up from something that had just happened uh, in the segment where Quinn quizzes you and Steven and I'm not going to give anything away for people who haven't seen it yet you should go watch it um but uh, the the segment where Quinn quizzes Mike and Stephen about relay led to a very particular thing being discovered, and sure enough, not long after that, the person involved with that yeah uh, appeared for some official John Syracuse approved podcast follow up. It was yeah, I would say so, I, yeah. I really think you should watch it, like even at least skim through it. But the final, I think maybe ninety minutes is probably like that. That's maybe really worth watching. Yeah, there's some really good stuff in there. So yeah, it was. You know, we're already planning for next year. Uh, we're gonna obviously gonna do it again because we've continued to to raise so much money for a cause that means a lot to us. So thank you to everybody that that was involved in any way for the podcastathon. We have uh, some follow-up. So on the last episode, obviously a lot of uh, the episode was taken up by talking about iOS 14 dropping within 24 hours of Apple's event. And one of the questions we had is, will there be any apps? (laughs) Right, Uh, Mm -hmm. And there were. So kind of anecdotally, uh, it kind of seems like a lot of developers were still able to make day one releases for applications. It seemed like app review moved pretty fast for a lot of developers. So if someone could get Xcode uh, downloaded and could get a build submitted, it seemed like app review were moving fast in some instances. Of course, this was 
could not and was not the case for everybody. But there were many developers that I saw commenting online uh, that they did get approved in time. Um, I think maybe you could make an argument that it seemed like developers that have been around for a while got their apps through, um, mm. which you can see some sense in that, right? Like maybe established developers of, of companies that are large, but even independent developers. Uh, it seemed like a lot of people in our circles got their apps approved pretty fast. Um, this obviously doesn't change the fact that they had to scramble. And I don't know about you, Jason, but I've seen an awful lot of bug fix updates for apps that had, did get through the, the, the first hurdle um, over the last few days. So, I mean, I've, I would assume at this point that Apple have heard the concerns of the developers in the community about like the, the sheer amount of issues of doing what they did here. And I would hope that they won't do this again. Yeah, I think they didn't intend to do it, right? I I do think somebody asked me this um on Twitter and it's like I think this was a chain of events where they made some decisions that didn't expect it to go this way and then they made some other decisions and then things changed and everything kind of cascaded to this point. I don't think they intended to give the developers no time, but then they felt they had to stick with this timeline. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will be even more clear. I, I will note that it seems like AppReview was very much aware of what was going to happen and that they did expedite these app reviews and they had reviewers ready to go. So uh, clearly as this, and there were some theories that maybe they had originally intended this thing to happen last week. And for some reason it got delayed. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, but uh, in the end, I, I think Apple probably didn't want it to go this way and i think even more so now i would hope they would look at it and say oh yeah you know this is not ideal um i'm glad they stepped up on the app review side because one of my least favorite things about apple is when apple makes one of these decisions that is frustrating and kind of walks away and leaves everybody else to deal with the follow fallout and that happens sometimes when they release an app that makes a that competes with other apps and it drives those apps out of the platform and then they never update it and it's like well wait a second if you're going to do this you should follow through you should have that follow through and i will say this is a bad situation that i hope is never repeated i am glad that apple very much knew it was a bad situation and really geared up app review to try and get the backlog through as much as possible again mm. it's not what you want but i like because there's another scenario where apple does this and then app review still takes days yeah, or weeks this, and this was the thing that i really <laughs> wanted to follow up on right is like whether app review were very aware or whether it was jumped on them it doesn't matter right like they made it work, right? Like that part of the, the team, because, and the reason I say that is we know that, that Apple is secretive in even in itself, right? So like, who knows if the app review teams, the app reviewers knew, even knew that, that they were going to be dealing with what they dealt with. But nevertheless, like that part of the organization made it work because there were applications that had iOS 14 features available on iOS 14 launch day because I personally was genuinely questioning as to whether that would even be the case. Um, so they, whatever it is they, they did, they made it work. And you've got to assume that even inside of the company, people were making the argument like, you, we can't do that again. That was a bad idea. Right? And like it's normal that point releases when there's hardware this can happen, right? Like, I could imagine them saying, like, we have a new iPad, it needs iOS 14.3, and it's coming out tomorrow. That's one yeah. thing. But an sure. entire 
OS version is and, too much. And Xcode, right? Because that's yeah. the other part that didn't get as I think, widely understood is like they were where there's some stuff where you need to compile it with the the final version of Xcode yeah. in order to submit it to be on the iOS 14 train. And when they made the announcement, and even as they were pushing out the GM, Xcode wasn't out yet, right? Like, so they they couldn't. No. They could submit, like, an iOS 13 version, but they couldn't actually... You could feel like your app was done Uh, and ready to go, but you had to download Xcode first and and compile it through there. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about why why they will... I'm not going to say this won't happen again. I'm going to say that Apple doesn't want this to happen, is... Any developer will tell you, and you can look in the App Store today and see all of those like great with iOS 14. Apple, especially on the on the marketing side, loves mm-hmm. developers who embrace new OS features. Mm-hmm. Now, those are the people they hurt, right? Yep. Because I saw a couple of people were like, "Well, what's the big deal? Why not just wait?" And the answer, well, one of the big deals about being there on day one is that Apple markets your app heavily if you're there on day one with a feature that takes advantage of the new features of their operating system because that's good for apple because it allows apple to say uh, see all the great things we did with ios 14 and include all the apps because saying here's a great api at you as you do at wwdc doesn't matter to an end user you need to say see this app which we're going to talk about some of them um see this app that lets you put widgets on your home screen right Mm -hmm. so apple wants it to be this way but yes. in the end the needs of marketing are not going to override some big engineering problem that happened which probably happened here um there is continued weirdness though uh which ios 14.2 is currently the uh version <laughs> of ios 14 available to developers so if you were on the developer train you've gone from 14 to straight to 14.2 uh, there's lots of tweaks, lots of fixes here and there. But yes, you are hearing me correctly. 14.1 is lost somewhere. Now, we can all make the natural assumption mm-hmm. as to where iOS 14.1 yes. is living. And 14.1 that is, on is a very iPhones. special build. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 14.1 is a very special build of 14.0 that includes all of the special features that are only available in the new iPhone hardware. Mm-hmm. That's That's it, right? That's got to be it. And that that there are features, there are new pieces of hardware. I have a theory too, which is um, part of me thinks that Apple has gotten more careful about stuff like this because of Guy Rambo and Steve Trattenson. Well, Smith. you see, so th- I am agreeing <laughs> with this here, which is why we then go back to why did they do a twenty-four hour release of the Golden Master? Mm-hmm. And and it's like I think you, that there is a potential here that. It was Apple's intention to never release the Golden Master in, until 24 hours before, so people because wouldn't. it has features that yeah. were announced in the keynote, and they mm-hmm. knew. And this is the frustrating thing: is they knew since it was a GM that those features had to be baked in there, and they would be found out. Right? People would find them out, and so they just didn't put them in there. It's frustrating. The, the, the solution would be to give them a few days and yeah. then have it drop on Friday instead of have it drop yeah. on on Wednesday. But but yes, I do think. It's at least possible, maybe very possible, that one of the reasons Apple is doing some of the things it's doing and being a little more careful with its OS releases is because it got tired of being burned by people looking at their code. Now, I would say the real solution is to not leak stuff in your code, but I can also see how something like a GM version that is final, it's the GM version, you can't 
not have the features in the GM version that are going to ship, or it's not a GM version. So I can see if you're going to roll some new features that previously have never been announced into your announcement, then which, you know, this is why you don't do that. This is why ideally you don't do that, <laughs> but they did it. So it's it's frustrating. And, and 14.1, you know, I'm sure, first off, I, I would bet you that there's going to be something in 14.2 that leaks that is like, oh, this is proof of this, <laughs> right? That, well, it that hasn't I, I still don't think they're, it hasn't, hasn't yet. Yeah. I just, I maybe they've gotten it right. Maybe they've gotten their story right. But 14.1, obviously, if you've got a brand new X in the iPhone, uh, you know, one of the iPhones, it doesn't even need to be all of them, then you need the software to support that. Yep. And then if you release that as a beta, somebody's going to find it. <laughs> so they're just not going to show it. Yeah, but I understand this idea. But if the way that you get around people finding stuff in the GM is to never release a GM again, I think you maybe need to go back to the drawing board on that a little bit, right? Like there yes. is there is some logic in this approach, but you can't take this approach of like we value secrecy over even allowing for our development partners to have access to the code that they desperately need like that there has also, to be a middle ground in there somewhere also the gm um deprecated some stuff i saw that from a couple of developers that mm. there were there were things that they that they were working on and the gm was like that's not in the final build <laughs> it's like but uh and, and it was not not like critical but like there's like a new logging api or something that they just pulled out and people were using it and they're like, okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it seems basically the rule should be a GM needs a little bit of time for the developers to get it and test it and get the new X, final Xcode and submit it. And if, if you can't release it in advance because you're making secret surprise announcements in your event, then build more time in on the backside, right? Yep. Make the event Tuesday, release the GM right after the event. Yep. And then and give yourself then a release, couple of days. Yeah. And then push out the final release. I mean, Friday, Thursday, right? Like, just wait. <laughs> just wait. Last piece of follow-up. Uh, it's actually an upstream follow-up. Billy Crudup uh, picked up an Emmy for his role as Corey Ellison on The Morning Show. So this was Apple's first Emmy. It was their only win of their 18 nominations. But a win is yeah. a win, and this is a good one for them. And, and in a... A high-level category, a, a high-profile, you know, category. Sporting in, actor, in, yep. Mm-hmm, in the drama, so. But, of course, the best thing that happened in the Emmys last night was the clean sweep of uh, Schitt's Creek in the comedy. Uh, Amazing. Emmys, which was just, I watched right. all of the um, the acceptance speeches this morning, and it was it was just, for a show that I absolutely adore, uh, it had such great messages to it, just watching the them win, win after win, and you could, like, see the tension building yeah. as it looked like they were going to sweep it, it was... That was that was the best part of the Emmys. I think it may be the first show, comedy or drama, to sweep all seven major so. yeah. nominations, which is or categories, which is unreal. And it's unreal that it's this little Canadian show mm -hmm. that did it. But it's but, worth uh, it. That was that was fun. Um, yeah, they did they did a good job with a Zoom based mm. uh, TV show. I thought the a large Zoom based suit TV show. Award givers was weird though. It like, was weird, but I liked it. I thought it was good weird, and I liked mm, the I liked yeah. the um, automated. Uh, boxes Emmy that happened in some places like john oliver had the exploding confetti box with his emmy in it 
I thought that was. Uh, I didn't see uh, that. That's, oh that's yeah, funny. that's that, like everybody got a box, but um, only one of them had an Emmy in it, and it was John Oliver's. And the and the box opened, and confetti blew out, and <laughs> and a, a mechanical hand holding an Emmy. Well, that was fun. released. That's it was fun. pretty good. That's yeah, better so than the, has, they, they the hazmat the suits. Was a little too like it's, but there were tuxedo hazmat suits. Yeah, did you did. see that? I liked oh, I, I liked that, that even least. Like, okay, yeah. it's it, it was weird and creepy, but mm. also I thought very twenty twenty and kind of I like the I like the uh, approach there. It was yeah, it was weird. But anyway, so Apple, as we've said here, one of the great things, and I know we all think the giant tech companies are are um, cold, unfeeling monsters, and all they want is um, more money and more power, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something else that cold that the cold, unfeeling monsters <laughs> want. <laughs> They want it's love validation. from the academy. That's what it's they validation want. of yeah. what they do. And uh, Apple got one with the Billy Crudup uh, Emmy, which is honestly Billy Crudup's performance in the morning show. I don't love the morning show. I liked it. I didn't like how it ended. Um, his performance is really good. He's a good actor. Mm-hmm. I like him. Very good. Uh, that performance is so strange because he starts out so weird and slimy and, and yet over time, you kind of get... You stop rooting for him a little bit. Yeah, yeah he's like, he, yeah, he's a slimy executive, but he's our slimy executive. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's a legitimately good performance, great performance maybe from a very good actor. Also, I want to point out that um, the actor who played um, uh, Cal in Watchmen, uh, how, how shall I phrase this? The actor who played Cal in Watchmen won... Uh, for best actor in a limited series, which is fun, and or best supporting actor in a limited mm-hmm. series. Anyway, um, and he's great. He's from Oakland. He went to Cal. Go Bears. Um, but this means that that he and Billy Crudup won awards last night, which is funny because, and I'm again, I'm not going to spoil Watchmen for it's you. Funny if you see <clears> it, <throat> we'll say that everybody everybody should go watch HBO's Watchmen. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I'll just say that 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 actor, uh, yeah, yeah, and Billy Crudup, um have played the same character in the past. (laughs) And so I found that highly amusing. Anyway, um, but Watchmen won a bunch of awards and people should check it out. Watchmen is one of the most relevant shows you'll ever see. And as I said on Twitter last night, it's not a show about superheroes. (laughs) It's a show about uh, police abuse and white supremacy in America. And uh, it is as current as you could possibly get. And it's a piece of brilliant art. Um, and then uh, chase that down with Chernobyl, which is about systemic failures in, so- in a society that lead to a lot of deaths. And just, you couldn't get more 2020 than that. So anyway, awards, validation, the cold, unfeeling monsters just want to be loved. This episode is brought to you by Hover, one of our longest running sponsors here at Relay FM. Hover has been with us since the very beginning. And when you have that one big idea, where'd you go? Well, your business should start with a domain name. As for so many people starting their their own companies, Hover is that first big leap. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions that you can choose from. So no matter what you want to build, there is a domain name waiting for you. And there is they have excellent technical support over at Hover that can answer any questions you may have. They are dedicated to helping you get online, not upselling you, not squeezing money out of you. Maybe you want a URL for your new company. If you do, why not check out one of the wonderful domain options available to you, which is .inc. 
www.ingenieurs.inc. You can show people you're super serious about your business, and you also get options that may not be available to you with .coms, right? Because they, the names are all maybe will be taken up, but you could get yourself a great .inc. domain. Hover has, Hover has free who is privacy, so the bad guys won't get your information. They have a clean and very understandable, very simple user experience. I love how easy it is with Hover to forward a domain. I do that a lot. Like I'll buy domains and forward them to other places, and I can buy a domain and set up the forward in, I'm not kidding, like a minute from search to being done. It's really fantastic, and that's one of the reasons that I love and continue to use Hover because of how simple and fast it is to get things done. Hover also have monthly sales on popular top-level domains so it's possible to get really great prices in that domain that you've been looking for I know that as a listener of this show, you love great user experiences. You love things that work straight out of the box. That's why I know that you will appreciate Hover and just how easy and simple it is to navigate. Buy your domain and start using it today by going to hover.com slash upgrade and you will get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That URL one more time, hover.com slash upgrade. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and continued support of Relay FM. So today, we are obviously going to talk about iOS 14, because that is what's happening right now. iOS 14 is available. You know, we've been talking about some of its features throughout the year, and our usual uh, episode would be to talk about, uh, kind of run through some of our favorite features. And we're going to do that maybe over the next couple of weeks. But what we're going to talk about today is how iOS 14 is affecting customization of people's iPhones in ways that I don't think we would have, you know, not don't think, in ways that we definitely did not expect to occur. Um, and so I think one of the things that we really need to talk about is widgets. And if we're going to talk about widgets, we have to talk about Widgetsmith, which is a fr- very good friend of the show, David Smith, underscore David mm. Smith, created an app called Widgetsmith, which was based on uh, an app that he made called Watchsmith. And Watchsmith came out, uh, I think it was earlier this year, and it was an application which was built to help you create complications for your Apple Watch with varying data, and you could set them on schedules and stuff like that. And David put an incredible amount of work into building this application. And then when when Apple uh, introduced uh, widgets, the new widget system, uh, David was like, well, this naturally, with the work that I have done with Watchsmith, I could move over and create a new app called Widgetsmith, doing similar kinds of stuff. And I had been on the beta for the app for a few months and, and was giving lots of feedback to David. And I know that you were too, Jason. And we were you know, kind of helping him work through some of the widgets we'd like to see. Then on Friday, Widgetsmith truly went viral. Um, it was appearing in various TikToks and YouTube videos. I saw the, the phrase Widgetsmith trending on Twitter at one point, <laughs> and it has been the number one free app in the App Store pretty much worldwide since Friday because yeah. what happened was people wanted to customize their home screens, and David includes in Widgetsmith loads of options to add images, to add text, and to do lots of color customization to them. And it turns out this is something that a lot of people, especially young people, want to do. I will include a link uh, to a Verge article uh, because it's like the thing now. Everyone's writing these articles. The reason I put this one from the Virgin is they uh, link to a lot of tweets and stuff that people have been doing to make really weird home screens like that look like Windows 98 or look like the Animal Crossing uh, Nook phone and stuff like that. Now, what has ended up happening is 
people want to, uh, uh, this is more than just uh, Widget Smith, and we'll talk about the icon stuff in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But basically what's happened is people want to customize their home screens much more, basically theme them, and yeah. apps like Widgetsmith are allowing them to do it. Yeah, it could be a simple, I mean, the one, the TikTok video that really went viral, I mean, literally it's things like, I can put today's day yeah. on a window in a nice color. With yeah, a and, nice with a nice, and with a nice font. Because and it seems like the one that people really love is Apple's new um, New York font, which is a, a serif font. Um, yeah. rather than San Francisco, which is a sans serif. Yeah, and, you know, it's this is a lesson that Apple learned a long time ago on the Mac, right? Mm-hmm. This is, uh, in the early days of the Mac especially, like, people customize their Macs. This is why John Syracuse keeps uh, needling case of the list on ATP about um, naming his hard drive something. Because yep. when I first got into the Mac, like... Everybody had like extensions that made different sounds and everybody had a different background image and they had or pattern and uh, you name your hard drive something and you put a custom icon on it and you put custom icons on folders and like all of these things are about making the Mac feel like it's yours and not just like a cold unfeeling computer that was sent to you by the computer company it's yep. no this is mine it has a name it has an icon whatever it is it's yours and ios kind of apple lost the plot on that a little bit right like they at did. some point they they added um wallpaper and you can move the icons around but like something as fundamental as custom icons or icon themes or color themes that exist on android all this stuff and on the mac iOS was just like, I mean, I think part of this is that Apple, because they were focused on other things and they just didn't prioritize it, I think the springboard in general, the home screen, just didn't get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. I think that was sort of why it led this way, but like you can see it. So the moment that uh, you can put widgets on the home screen, this, it's like a dam burst. Yeah, and I, somebody on Twitter said to me the other day or, or yesterday, um, "Isn't this just a fad?" And it's like, "Well, is it a fad?" Yes, in in the sense that there's a new OS version and everybody's going to do it, and a lot of people are going to get tired of it. And like, yes, but it's also, I think, a super valid impulse that people have. It is a it is a decades old user impulse to make your th- device your own. What is more personal than a smartphone, right? Our smartphones are our whole lives. They're, they're encompassed yep. in there. It is yep. our communication. It, it can be our business or our school. It's our friends. It's our entertainment. Why would you not want to customize it? And Apple, with this one feature, just cracked open mm-hmm a little bit it of it just and you enough. can see and it's like people are are um thirsty like they desperately want this and so they rushed into this and and it's great for David Smith he's a beneficiary of this but you can see the user desire here and and I know that David in day 1 is like oh I need to give more fonts and more color options to these people because they really want that I hope somebody at Apple is looking at this and going oh Huh. Because th- we, we talk here about the emoji effect, right? Which is that um, 
that people update their OS because they want the new emojis. That that's a real thing that happens, and it doesn't happen in the .0 release. It happens a little bit later in the fall. Yep. Um, people are updating their OS for Witcher Smith. Like people are updating their OS to get this, and yeah. so if I'm Apple, I look at this and I go, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. That's another way, like emoji releases. Yeah, this is to get people to update. So we should, we, you know, if I, I can, I hope, and I can only assume that somewhere deep inside Apple as they're desperately trying to put together whatever version of iOS runs on the new phone and all of those things, there is somebody who has taken their priority list and put user customization up. I I will make a (laughs) long-term prediction now, Jason, and say that we will get home screen themes before we get watch faces. Yeah, sure. And I think it's going to become a thing now, just because this is... It, look, the the idea of being a fad it means you're not going to still see people posting about this on Twitter in the the this, what the, with how they're doing right now, like with the the veracity that we're seeing right now in six months' time. No, but people will be used to this being a part of their operating system and will continue to tweak and share it. Um, but like, I don't think that this is like something people are going to forget about because they're setting up their home screens now and they will know that their phone can do this and it looks like this, right? Right. The, the funny thing to me is, you know, I was testing Widget Smith and I was super focused on utility, 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 right? When and right. the things I was asking time David zones. for, it's like I want this time zone thing and I want it to work this way and I want a step counter and I want it to work this way. Like it never occurred to me all that people would use the cosmetic widgets that he included. Like I never used any of them. Um, right. Like, and I have only really thought about having the the photo widget that he has, the one that shows photos from an album. I put that on after I see so many people doing it. It's like, oh yeah, I can do that. But like, I want to take a quick sidebar here and just talk about how unbelievably thrilled I am for David. Like, I the past few days have just been a joy for me as I am watching all of the press that he's getting, seeing his app, number one in the app store. Like, David is one of the very nicest people that I've ever met in my life. Like, And he was also one of the hardest working. And to to see him getting what is not just... Like, I don't know anybody that has achieved this level of, like, mainstream success. Like, I don't know anybody personally that's done something like this before, right? Like, number one in the free charts on the App Store for, like, four days. Like, that is next level, right? And, like, I'm seeing I'm seeing Widgetsmith, like, just everywhere, right? And, and I'm just, I'm so, so happy for him because I know how hard he works. I'm looking forward to his discussion, presumably on Under the Radar. Oh my God, I can't wait. The business side of this too, because the thing is, um, the reason that it is trending, this it talks about how App Store economics work in a way. Widgetsmith is trending in part because it's free. Yes. So anyone can try it and mm-hmm. anyone can get it. And so congratulations, underscore, you have just sold a bunch of free apps. Here's your no money, right? Mm-hmm. And and your enormous, by the way, uh, support cost now because he's got all of these people asking questions about Widgetsmith. Mm-hmm. So the other part of this is how does he convert this? Because he is a solo developer, right? Yep. With other apps. Mm-hmm. How does he take advantage of the fact that he has a huge user base and find ways to make money? Not only because he needs to support himself and his family, but because he has a greater support burden now on the users. So... I'm curious to see 
you know, is it, it just as simple as a certain percentage of free users are going to buy the in-app purchases for things like the weather and tides and stuff like that that he's got in the app? Or does he now think of customization packs kind of things that are more designed to appeal to this aesthetic audience, you know, and and do an in-app purchase for stuff related to that. These are decisions he has to make. But, you know, in the end, it's great that he has the number one free app all over the world. But number one free app doesn't get you anything because it's a free app. It's what what you make of it and what you make of the user base. And I'm I'm curious to see how his approach to the app changes because I think this changes where he was going with the app, right? Oh, like surely. I the mean, users yeah. have steered this in a very different direction. So how does he adjust and how does he find a way to make the app uh, still popular and usable, but also actually making money? And does he need to adjust his plan there as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I will also be very interested. To, and we've had some some basic conversations about it, but like I'm I'm super interested to see what it ends up doing for him, right? Because there is already a subscription method in there, but as you say, like the things that it is offering will maybe or are not the things that people they're, now seem to yeah, be wanting. They're functional, right? Yeah, and cosmetic. he was good about that. He's like, these are the ones that cost money to do, which is, you know, a weather API costs money. Uh, the Tide API costs money. So I'm going to charge for these. And now he may want to change to, you know, I'm going to create these themes or these mm-hmm. colors or mm-hmm. whatever. Or he may not. He may just figure that it, it actually works as well as it does um, with the current system because people are going to love these widgets and then they're going to want the weather widget. But, you know, he's competing with other apps there. And I don't know, it's it's a tough one. Um, but, you know, he wants to make the most about this. He doesn't, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't want to be the guy who, who sells everybody a free app and then does a bunch of jerky things in order to make money off of, of it, right? But at the same time, he needs to make money because he is a solo developer. So that'll be fascinating to watch. But I think, again, if you're at, first off, I mean, every other app developer is now going to, try to attach to this market, which is going to be funny. But um, if you're Apple, you got to look at this and say, um, we need to do more to enable stuff like this, mm-hmm. whether it's in the system, in the OS, or in APIs that app developers can use, or both. Uh, you got to think that that we're going to we're going to go there. But I'm very I'm very happy for him. And I hope he makes the most of his top of the charts <laughs> uh, time. Of course, the other part of this is the app library because now people can hide their icons. Right. They're using shortcuts to create custom icons, which is super janky, but it works. You can make a shortcut that is open this app, and then you can save a shortcut to the (laughs) shortcut to the shortcut, an icon of the shortcut that launches the shortcut to the home screen, and Mm -hmm. that can contain a custom icon you can paste in a custom icon there and then when you tap on that icon out on the home screen what it does right now is it opens shortcuts and then opens the app you want yep which a lot of people have said hey apple maybe you should just uh let this let this pass through but there's a security issue there right because theoretically and whether this is a real important security issue i don't know but theoretically you could create an icon that looks like a legit app but is not and it and and you wouldn't know that you were tapping a shortcut to somewhere else 
unless it gave you some sort of indication. Mm-hmm. So there are some issues here, but it's amazing that you can do this and people are doing this, right? That's the other part of this is not only can you have that icon, but you can hide the the old, you know, dumb app icon away because uh, you can hide home, home screen pages now. Now, obviously, this isn't the only thing that widgets are for. And I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not. I'm. I don't have a a WidgetSmith widget that tells me the current date in a nice color on my on my home screen. Um, no. I I'm using WidgetSmith widgets in other ways, but like the more of the ways that I'd expected. So I wanted to talk a little bit about widgets and how we're using them. Um, sure. And it's been interesting as I'm now getting access to more widgets as they're being released from apps that I'm used to. What I'm realizing is like there has that there is a barrier or like a bar for what an application needs to provide me for me to want to have the widget. Like for example, an app that I use every single day is due and it reminds me of certain things throughout the day. But I don't need to have the due widget on my home screen telling me about the things that are going to come up later on because I'll just get notified about them at the time. But I do want my calendar, Fantastical's widget, right? So I can see my events. So like, it's it's kind of interesting. Like, there are applications that you use every day that are fine to just the information to just stay in the app. I don't need a widget for them. And and it's about kind of like a combination of what does the developer offer plus what how important is that data for me to have constant visibility to and kind of working out for yourself which ones make sense there like do i need to see my task list on my home screen i don't know if i do Hmm. um but do i do want a quick way to add a task right so like there's like different uh different functionality requires that kind of visibility for me I've also found out that widget design, I think, is more important than a lot of developers have given uh, thought to. Like, for example, I use dark mode all the time, but it doesn't mean I want all my widgets to be black. And that's what a lot of developers seem to have assumed. But Uh, I still want color on my home screen. But I don't, you know, but like, I just don't want everything to be white. So like, there's a, there's an element there of like, I think I I really like the widgets that, that they default to the dark mode, but allow me to customize them. So I've really Mm -hmm. liked that because I still want color. Like just because I don't use light mode doesn't mean I want everything to be all black all the time. I just don't want all white all the time. Right. Um, and I'll also, I mean, I don't, I'm sure this is the same for most of our audience. I do feel like I need to make some sweeping changes to the way that my home screen works, but I'm, I feel like I'm still waiting on a few more widgets to appear and then work out which icons are going to go away. Like, I feel like I maybe don't need my Fantastical icon on my home screen anymore if I'm used to having the widget there. Like, I, but I still need to work out how and what's going to show and where. You know, have you found that like there needs to be some change here, but you're just not sure what it is yet? Yeah, and the um, one of the challenges is the iPhone and the iPad are different because the iPad, it's you know, it, you've got the one screen that that, that has everything. A, yeah, it is frustrating to not be. I mean, it's. I mean, we've been saying this the whole time, but it's still incredibly frustrating to 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 have all of the widgets locked away to that bar on the side. Yeah, it is. So it's. Um, but at, at the same time, I'm happy that they're there and mm-hmm. they're very nice. But mm-hmm. it's kind of not necessary um i'd like more if i could i'd like more functionality i get why it's not there you have to rethink the grid and all that like i I see why they punted on this one and said we'll deal with it you know next year maybe but um yeah i have a lot of 
pondering to do about how I use widgets and what information I want. And I'm, I'm experimenting, and I, but I'm kind of starting slow because I think what I've decided is on my iPhone, I don't use my iPhone as much as my iPad. Um, since I rarely leave the house. I was using the iPhone a lot more this weekend because we were Mm -hmm. traveling. And um, it's actually kind of a push and pull between the fact that I can hide all of my extra pages of apps and have a much simpler interface and adding widgets where it clutters it back up, but with widgets. And I think I'm appreciating the simplicity more than I'm appreciating the clutter. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the number of, I have a small widget stack on my page one of my iPhone home screen Mm -hmm. and, um, that's it. And on page two, I'm experimenting with some widgets. There's actually no icons on page two. It's just widgets and I'm trying some different stuff out there, but I'm not sure I actually want anything more than, um, page one. And nothing else, and and have it be super minimal, but um, but it's really too early to tell. Like, it's it's fun to have the options. I'm not sure. Every time I I try something out, I'm like, whoa, that's kind of a lot. And so it may be that I end up much more minimalist and um, and not doing as much with widgets as I maybe thought on the iPhone. On the iPad, you know, definitely it's nice to have. I've got you know uh, I've got a couple small widgets and a uh, a medium widget stack with Fantastical and the weather forecast, and uh, that's all been good. Yeah, some of my favorites so far is Fantastical. I use one called Event List Plus Calendar. Uh, Carrot Weather, super good, the forecast widget. I think Carrot Weather's widget is my favorite widget. Um, My time tracking app, Timery, the, the widgets are in beta right now, but there's some good ones in there. Uh, I use a bunch of the shortcuts ones for different shortcuts. Apple's photo widget is super nice. Um, it's actually it, they've done a really good job with that widget. Um, I recommend everybody like to at least tries that one out for a while, like leave it on your home screen um, because I I didn't use it at first, and then everybody was telling me to try it, so I did, and it's really nice. And then of the widget smith that we were talking about earlier, I use photos in album to select photos just from a specific album that I love. I use the step count widget and the time in locations, which is the time zone widget. So that they're some of my favorite ones that I've used so far. But I'm still waiting on what I expect, like a bunch of apps that I use to update with widgets in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I'm also using um, Carrot Weather widget, which I really like. One of the things I'm really liking is these apps that offer a whole bunch of different options. Like, Because especially um, some of the Apple stuff, but also some of the old-style widgets mm-hmm. that we used to have were like one-size-fits-all, like here is the widget, or they were configure the widget in the app to mm-hmm. be what you want it to be. And what seems to be happening with iOS 14 is you just have so many different widgets to choose from um, sort of pre-formatted. Yeah. So like Carrot is a great example where as I scroll through, they have snark widgets that say the forecast and also uh, one of the funny lines that the app says. They have forecast widgets that show the current forecast. They have hourly widget that shows the hourly forecast and a daily widget that shows the daily forecast for the next few days. And they have, if you're paying them a tier three membership, a weather map that will show you like the local radar and stuff. Like all of that 
those are just pre-formatted. So you mm-hmm. just choose and you can choose multiple ones and put them in a stack and all of that. And like what I wanted was the the daily forecast. And I want to see what's happening the rest of the week. And so that's one that I've got on my iPad screen. I really like uh, what they did with that. What I like about the, the, the carrot one, they, they have one that I'm using, it's just called forecast. And what it does, which right. is what I love, is in the morning and most of the day, it shows me hourly, but in the evening switches to daily. Mm. And I really like that smart. because in the morning and through the day, I want to know what it's like for the rest of the day. But in the evening, I don't care. I just want to know what the rest of the week is like. So right. I really like that it does that switching on its own. And when I um, am, right, being in California, I don't really have to think about, is it going to rain later until <laughs> basically November? I, I the, so, the, the, uh, the carrot one also lets you set in a bunch of um, additional data points and I have precipitation uh, percentage yeah. chance, of course. Yeah, so that'll all be more relevant. I may actually find value in an hourly in a little bit, but um, not not quite yet. Um, the, the one that I'm using the most is Scriptable. <laughs> and I know this is wacky, but uh, so Scriptable is an app it's kind of like shortcuts, except the way what it lets you do is run JavaScript scripts. And you're saying to yourself, why, why would there be a widget for that? But the new version of Scriptable lets you write your own widgets in JavaScript to do anything. Anything you want. So I have written... Um, based on some code I found and modified and then people have contributed to it. And I wrote about this on Six Colors a little bit, but like I have a widget on both my phone and my iPad that literally just talks to my weather station and tells me my home weather. So it's it's not something that I can distribute to anyone else because it doesn't make sense for anyone else. It's not following an API. It's not talking to a weather. It's literally talking to my server. Mm-hmm. And it's got the current temperature, the high and low, is it warmer than it was or colder than it was yesterday? And what's the trend over the last hour? And it's great. And I and it's like it's green when it's cool and red when it's hot. It's great. Um, and then I also wrote um, in a bunch of different forms, including in Scriptable, this air quality widget because we've had the fires in the West, mm-hmm. and so you kind of need to know is it is the air breathable outside or not, essentially. And that has been a lot of fun. And um, that one I posted the code for. Uh, because you can literally um, put in a, the code of a purple air air quality station near you, and then it works. That one is relevant for people who are not just me. It's not hard-coded to my local air quality. And um, and I don't know anything about JavaScript, but I kind of, uh, I used, there was a, a script that I used as the basis that did some basic stuff, and then I, I changed a bunch of the math. And then somebody who saw my article about it threw in this like sort of theme approach where you you could have a color gradient and then I modified that so that like the light colors have a have dark text and the dark colors have a light text on the and it's been a lot of fun but it's also been super useful especially right now to know what the current temperature is and to know what the air quality is so um if you know a little you know enough javascript to um to be dangerous, to be dangerous. <laughs> I would recommend trying it out also because um the great thing about things like javascript is it's all open code you can see all the code and there are lots of examples there's a thread actually over in the automators forum 
um, that's a spinoff of the Automators podcast on Relay FM, where it's a bunch of examples of widgets written in scriptable. Mm-hmm. But I just I love and there there is a similar project that's trying to get widgets in uh, shortcuts. It's a little more complicated <laughs> that way. But if you think in terms of shortcuts, you can do that too. I love this, right? I love the fact that if there's not a widget out there that does exactly what you want, like my personal weather street, like there's a there's an app that um that does air quality called Air Lookout, and it will look at purple air uh, stations near you, and there is a widget, right? So there is an app that does that. Um, it didn't do that when I started writing mine, but it does that. But like for my personal weather station, like there is nothing, and I could get one that like looks at my weather station through an API or something. But like I just I just wrote it <laughs> and it works and i love that 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 you can write your own widgets if you want to so most of my widget time has actually been in scriptable of all places yeah i i don't know uh i know so little javascript that i would be dangerous right like yeah well and, i but, yeah. i know very little of it too mm-hmm. but i know enough it's how i learned all of my scripting languages is I looked at the existing code and I was like, oh, so that's how you do that. And then you take it and and then every now and then I run into something where I'm like, I literally don't know what I'm seeing here. And then I have to Google it and all of that. But that it's actually been kind of a fun experience to do that and see what code is similar in JavaScript to PHP to, you know, AppleScript and what how they're different and all of those things. It's actually been a lot of fun. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Text Expander removes the repetition from work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember that right thing to say at the right time. Because when you use Text Expander, you can say that right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, because Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time, getting rid of repetitive things that you're typing, while still allowing for customization and personalization in your messages. I use Text Expander all the time on all of my devices and it's just super useful. We share snippets from Relay FM to make sure that we're all saying the right thing and also to save from us all needing to come up with those things to say because we share it all with each other. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I use a text expander to replace a double space entry on my Mac with a with a full stop whenever I want it, and you can you can add anything you like in like this with text expander, and it can be used wherever you're typing, any platform, any app, anywhere that you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity. Upgrade listeners get 20% off their first year by going to textexpander.com slash podcast. You can go there right now to learn more about Text Expander. That is textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. Of course, WatchOS 7 was released as well. Uh, I don't have as much to say about WatchOS 7. Uh, I did get a thumbs up earlier when I washed my hands, uh, which was nice. By the way, if you're wondering about the hand washing feature, it's actually off by default on WatchOS 7. You have to go and turn it on. Um, and I did that in the in the settings uh, on my on my watch. I don't know why that is. Um, maybe it's a functionality that maybe they're not comfortable enough is working correctly. I know a lot of people in the betas were saying that it was firing off at random times. I haven't had that yet. Um, I did kind of have some thoughts on some of the new watch faces. Like that's the thing that I care the most about because uh, I don't use a lot of the functionality of my Apple Watch, but I do like the faces sometimes. Uh, well. I have a love-hate relationship with the watch faces. Yeah. Um, I really like the typograph face. Um, 
but I find the process of picking colors to be annoying because some colors change the background color, but some don't, and I can't choose what I want it to be. I can just choose from the preset colors, which is weird because Apple has now created the, uh, the stripes face, which does allow you to choose the colors arbitrarily, but there are some faces where you have to go with the ones that Apple's picking. The same with the GMT face. They give you preset colors that Apple say match, but this is a similar thing to what we were talking about earlier. Why don't you let me choose the colors that I want exactly, rather than choosing from ones that you've told me and ordained are okay. Uh, but I do like the look of the typograph face. You know, it's I was using the California face before, so it was like purely aesthetic, no function, and the typograph right. face is similar. Um, although the, the one that I like, which is just the three very large numbers, um, so the, four, the four very large numbers it's actually quite hard to tell the time on that face mm. because they're so large where it's it's much easier when if you just have a watch face that has four numbers on and they're kind of sized correctly you can you have a better approximation of where the hands are pointing uh, but I just like the way this one looks which for me is an important thing about watch face design anyways is design uh, I like the GMT face. I like GMT uh, watch faces. A GMT face, basically, in, in a nutshell, is it allows you to tell two different times uh, through different time zones at the same time. So you have two hour hands um, on a watch face. One is your local time, and then it's like typically a, a, an hour hand in a different color, which is set to a different time zone. So I would set, tip, typically, and the reason it's called a GMT face, is you would set it to GMT. So you would always know what this kind of standard time zone is. Uh, setting a GMT time uh, for me is mostly pointless for half of the year because it's the time zone I live in. Uh, so I always set, and I have um, I have a, another watch face, which is a world timer of a similar idea. Uh, I set it to New York time, to Eastern time, because uh, that works great for me because from Eastern time, I can approximate the rest of the time in America. And I like this watch face, but it's, it has the infograph style in like the four corner complications which is a very I find that to be a very messy very loud layout and I I want to do some like tweaking with that to see if I can pick some complications that I actually like in those corners or otherwise I'm just going to turn them all off I, I find that design I understand why it's useful uh, but I I really do find it to be to be quite a lot uh, I'll say but it is a lot, although I use that. I use the California face, and I have the the four corners, mm. and um, it's because I like I I because of how I use the watch, honestly, because I have the activity shortcut and yep. overcast shortcut, and my rings and the weather, which like I if find I used the Apple Watch every day. I would be using more of the functions of the Apple Watch, so I would also right. imagine myself so doing this. Here, here's my frustration with this, which is um, a lot of these faces, Apple has decided they're monochrome faces, mm. and so you can pick a color. So on California, you can pick the color of the disc behind, so you can make it orange, or you can make it gray, or you can make it white, or you can make it black. Yep. The problem is, or one of the many other colors that are available, there are lots of colors in iOS 7, or uh, watch OS 7. So here's the thing. Um, what it enforces is monochromatic, monochromicity. It, it, so if you choose orange, it uses orange as a highlight color on all of your complications. Mm -hmm. And if you choose green, it makes green all of your complications. And what I really want is I want a, a setting, because I use it with a black background. I just want an option to say, show the colors on the complications. Because the complications have colors, but on monochrome faces, they're drained out. 
And it just frustrates me to no end that like I would be happy. I would like my little running guy to be green on that face. It, he's not. He's white. Because no color, only gray, except for the the second hand, which is red. Um, right. But if I choose orange, then then they'll be orange. But that they'll all be orange. And if they and were it's different too colors, much you can more easily pick out visually what you're looking for. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I I don't I don't mind if I'm going to have the four corner complications. I want a mode that lets me say just draw the complications with color. I want a separate switch that basically says mono or not for complications. And it doesn't offer that to me. And, and, and it's I, but annoying I have, because it, it's not yeah. like the Apple Watch doesn't have that functionality because one of the infograph faces has multiple color options, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's it's frustrating. Um, I have to try some of the new watch faces. My gut feeling, though, is that, I mean, essentially the California face that I've set up is literally... Uh, the closest I could get to the utility face, which is still my favorite, but of course the utility face is one of those uh, faces that was designed for the small screens and doesn't support any of the big modern complications, even though I have a big screen, Mm. which is also a frustration of mine because I love that face, but it's an old face that they haven't updated. And so I only have uh, little tiny complications that I can put in the corners, which is not, uh, not what I want. Yeah. You, I also saw on Twitter you've been having some battery life problems. Yeah, so this is this happened last year. Remember Casey Liss always Casey had about big this. problems. Yeah. Um so I I have an Apple Watch Series 5. I've had it for about a year since it came out. Um and so it's been running watchOS 6. And I've never maybe once, but I think basically never had that thing where I'm sitting on the couch at the end of the day and I get tapped on my mm-hmm. wrist saying, you're at 10%. Do you want to go in battery reserve mode? Maybe it happened once after I did a long uh, like if hike it or happened, something. You could probably point to a reason, right? Yeah. It yeah. It was weird. It, it literally, I think if it happened at all, it happened one time and it would have been where I was like, oh yeah, I did have the workout on for a long time or I left the workout on when I got home or something like that. There was a reason, but it was literally once in 300 plus days. So I update my Apple Watch to watch OS 7 on Wednesday. Um, and Wednesday it goes into power reserve. Thursday it goes into power reserve. Friday it goes into power reserve. Okay, no, Saturday it goes into power <laughs> yeah. reserve. Day one or two you can let go, but past that something weird's happening, right? I was like, like every day it either went into power reserve or it got, so it, it was offering to go into power reserve, and it was, you know, I was like, I, I'm just gonna let it run out because I'm gonna go to bed in half an hour or something, so I didn't bother. But basically. After not running out of battery for every day for a year, every day it ran out of battery. And I, I, I mentioned this on Twitter and people are like, oh, well, you know, you change your habits or whatever. It's like, no, no, literally no change in anything I do except the OS update. And then people are like, oh, it's hand washing. Turn off hand washing. And I've heard that works. And it becomes like the uh, the home remedies. Like everybody's got a, you draw draw a yeah, chalk circle and also, stand inside it. And <laughs> If it is hand washing, 
Well, that's watchOS 7 killing battery life then, isn't it? Because that's a feature added. Right. Like, that that would be point proven, even though, as I've said, a minute ago, it's actually off by default. So, But even if you had turned it on and it was now killing the battery life, well, that's showing that watchOS 7 is killing the battery life, which is a which is bad. That's right. not, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter and how you fix it. The point that the operating system has been updated and is now destroying the battery, well, that's an issue. Isn't yeah, it? if they have a new feature and it's turned on and it kills your battery, then that would be a problem. Anyway, I did finally, one of these home remedies, you know, kill a chicken, hang it upside down, whatever, all these home remedies that you've got for Apple Watch battery fixes. I had two people say to me, have you tried unpairing and repairing your watch? Because... Of course, what would be better than turning it off and on again <laughs> Yeah, is unpairing and repairing. Now, anybody who has an Apple Watch knows unpairing and repairing, it's not Isn't that simple. That basically a factory reset, like effectively. Yes. It's like reinstalling I mean, Mac OS it's or something. Close. It's close. Yeah. It's, it's not reinstalling the data. It's reinstalling the data, but not the OS. But it is, and you have the option of like not unpairing your cellular which is good because then you'd have to re-enable your cellular and go back to to your carrier and all of that. And it, 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 you have the option to do that, but it is it is a bit of a thing because you've got to put your your um, Apple Pay back on, so you got to put your card codes in for all your Apple Pay credit cards, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to do. But you can do it. It does a backup of your watch before you undo it. Um, so I did that. I actually did that in the hotel room on Saturday night after we moved my daughter in to her apartment. And I was like so tired. And yet the, I had the battery, I'd actually gone into power reserve, charged it while we were unpacking her stuff for about 20 minutes, put it right. back on, and then it died again. I was like, this is ridiculous. So I did it. And then I used it all day yesterday. And guess what, Mike? I went to bed and there was still like 30% battery. Huh. Okay. So. Again, uh, nevertheless, even though you fixed it, that's something in WatchOS 7 killing so battery life, no matter well, I what think, you know. I think what it is, is something in a watch that is updated to WatchOS 7, some watches that are updated to WatchOS 7 from WatchOS 6 mm. are getting in a state where they are running some process is running and they are and it's freaking out the uh the watch and it's draining the battery and apparently the way you stop that from happening is by unpairing and repairing so it, it's a bug but the, it strikes me as being a bug about doing an update to an existing right like it feels like that's really the bug here mm. if if you can unpair and repair and then it works fine it's not quite the os it's the act of the OS being updated mm. that's triggering something. And my guess is it's a data thing where it's trying to update an app from the phone or it's, you know, it's trying to do something and it's in a state where it's confused about what, you know, what state it's in right. and it continues to churn and it kills your battery. Mm. Um, but it was remarkable. And I only have one day as a data point so far, but let me tell you yesterday, <laughs> The watch was fine. <laughs> so I guess if you're having these problems, try that. Try doing that, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah I mean, but th this is a, a bug, and Apple needs to address it because it's super yeah. annoying um, for all the reasons that we said on the, that uh, that iPhone show we did. Like, upgrading your your watch to a new version of watchOS should be a delight, right? You should yes, be please. like, yeah, new features, new faces. It's great. Mm -hmm. And not a, uh, oh. A dance. You just ruined my, you ruined this OS that I can't revert 
has mm-hmm. ruined my watch because it like literally ruined my watch. My watch could not get through the day. It was it it was super sad <laughs> to have this watch that I've been using and using a lot over the last year suddenly uh, not be able to get through dinner. Yeah, I am uh, 54% right now, and it is uh, 6.37 p.m. I put the watch on probably about 10. I mean, I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, you can kind of maybe... I'm just saying that as a way for like people to judge it by their own benchmarks for the watch. Um, I don't do enough with mine. I think that I've ever really had battery issues. So I'll let you know. I've decided I'm going to wear the watch right. a little bit more now uh, because hmm. I'm, I want to try out Watch OS 7 and see see what else is going on there. Uh, there's a couple of more things I want to touch on uh, from last week's event. One of them was the A14. Uh, you wrote a great article about the debut of the A14. And I also, um, John Syracuse made some points on the last episode of ATP, which lets me just want to make a correction from stuff that I was saying last week. And plus, because it taught me something that I didn't know. Um, so when we were talking about the gains in the speed of the A14 in the iPad Air, these gains were over what it replaced in the iPad Air. I thought they were saying, look how much faster the A14 is to the A13, but it wasn't that. It was how much faster the A14 was to the A12, which is what was in the iPad Air before it. So those 30%, 40%, you know, double speeds and all that kind of stuff is for what it is in the iPad Air. Um, and whilst this is a super powerful processor, it still needs to be benchmarked, benchmarked against the A12Z to see if it is in fact more powerful than the current iPad Pro, which is something I know I've said, right? That like the, the, the A14 is more powerful and, we, and I don't know that's the case. Here's the thing though, and, and none of us know because Apple is talking about the A14, but nobody's actually used yep. it, is, and I can tell you this with some certainty, um, the A14 in single core is going to be faster than all the A12s, right? Because okay. it's it's a new it's a new core and it's faster. Mm-hmm. The A12Z is multi-core. It has more cores, right? Than than it's the probably yes, it's more cores. So if you're doing multi-core tests, because it has more performance processor cores, it will probably be faster. But I think I, we can say with some certainty that. If you compare the A14 to the A12X or Z, there will be places where one of them is faster and places where the other one is faster. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is a weird kind of place we're in right now where the iPad Pro doesn't have the 14 architecture that's coming out now. Now it will probably pretty mm-hmm. soon because otherwise they wouldn't have done what they did as we talked about last week. But uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that the A14 is definitely going to beat out all the A12-based stuff and uh, and the A13 stuff in some ways. It's just that we don't know because nobody has got their hands on an A14 iPad. And I think that's in part because Apple is saving, as my article goes into, it's kind of saving some of the hype for the iPhone. Yep. Because like it is this new processor, 5 nanometer, and they, they couldn't not talk about it. And they did talk about it, but I feel like they've saved some of the hype. They only are comparing it to the previous iPad Air, not to the A13. So you have to kind of extrapolate how much faster it is than the last chip generation because Apple doesn't want to talk about it. They will talk about that next time when they compare the new iPhones to the previous iPhones. 
Yeah, I just uh, I got sucked in by the marketing and, and assumed it was faster than anything, but was not paying attention to what they yeah. were actually saying. Yeah, no, they they have scrupulously avoided comparisons. There is one because the some of the machine learning stuff basically didn't exist. Yeah, in the A12, so they compared that to the A13, but otherwise they are scrupulously avoiding talking about it. And you know, as I say in the article, like. I get the argument that you want to compare like to like and the iPad has its own thermal characteristics and you know it's going to it's going to behave in a certain way and so you compare an iPad Air to an iPad Air and it would be different on an iPhone. I get that and yet at the same time it kind of feels like an excuse cuz really the A14 performance is what it is whether it's in an iPad or an iPhone. It's not that different and I think it's an excuse for them not to talk about it because they want to save that yeah, for the iPhone right. because because they're not happy about the fact that they had to announce the A14 with an iPad Air. They want to make the big deal about their 5 nanometer chip and the great new thing and this is going to be the generation that essentially this technology will probably power all the, you know, iPhones and iPads and Macs even if, well, no matter mm-hmm. what they call it, it's probably based on it's this the baseline generation of pro- processor and Apple silicon, right? Um, they wanted to make a big explosion about this with their biggest event of the year, which is the iPhone, and it didn't work out. So they're saving their powder a little bit, some of it, some of their powder for whenever they announce the iPhone. And so, you know, you end up with this reluctant debut that's like, yeah, it's the A14. Okay, we'll be back uh, later with more. <laughs> and I also wanted to talk about um, a little, I don't want to touch on the blood oxygen sensor again. Um, because this was something that I've I was really banging a drum on this last week of like I don't know why this isn't like Apple I, and again I still said this again I think Apple did a bad job of selling this to me and you linked to a, a Verge article on Six Colors uh, yeah. written by Nicole Wetzman and it says give a quote the Apple Watch's blood oxygen sensor isn't a medical device and won't be able to diagnose or monitor any medical conditions the company says the feature is simply there to help users understand their fitness and wellness and i've been seeing a lot of people use the phrase wellness a lot over the last week i've seen uh, people talking about language changes on apple's website i've also had many friends over the last seven days attempt to tell me why the blood oxygen sensor is important they all did a better job than apple but everybody falls into the same trap which is explaining a lot of things that this a sensor like this could potentially tell me but no definitive answers as to what it can do or what apples can do and especially nowhere near as definitive as what the heart rate sensor can do for me and i think that's the thing here the blood oxygen sensor is seems like a nice thing to have but a not a sensor is important as the heart rate sensor it is not so i think Nicole Wetzman's story gets to the heart of why it that that presentation seems so weird, which mm-hmm. is Apple can't market this for medical things. It can't. It has no authorization to market this as a medical sensor. So it can't talk about it in that form. And you saw what they did, which is sort of say, oh, we've learned a lot about blood, blood oxygen sensors from COVID-19. And then they move on. And then they say, oh, we have a blood oxygen sensor. Yeah. Uh, it's great for runners. And then it's like, and we're then they doing move on. a bunch of surveys you with these yet? people for these reasons. For, yeah, we're going to do some oh, medical by studies. by the way, we also have, like, it was, they were all very, yeah. um, it, 
basically, like, and, and I think what it all boils down to is because of these reasons, it was not a cohesive presentation yeah. for this feature, which is very un-Apple. And I think that was why I struggled for it to attach. And it's because their lawyers won't let them do that yeah. because it's not legal for them to make those claims. Mm-hmm. I'm sure what they want is to say... In the age of COVID, it's really great that we now have blood oxygen sensing on the Apple Watch because what we found in the early days of COVID is that a lot of people had very low blood oxygens and didn't realize it. And they got to the hospital and they were really, really sick. And a lot of them died because they didn't realize how sick they were. Mm -hmm. And if they had had the Apple Watch 6, maybe they wouldn't have died because they would have gotten a warning about their blood oxygen. That's what they want to say. And they can't because one, they're legally prevented from saying it. And two, because it's unclear if the Apple Watch really would work in that way because it hasn't been scientifically tested. So they can't say that. So instead it's like, oxygen, right? Right? Yeah, I've also had some people say to me that like a sensor like this one, uh, it would be too late for you. Right, like at the time that it would alert you to how bad it could potentially be. This is not, it's not, actually, if it works like a lot of these things work, um, based on the early days of COVID, it would actually um, it get would, you to get you help. to the hospital sooner. Yes, it would. Mm-hmm. Because the, the all these stories are about people who seemed fine, they felt fine, and they felt a little sick, mm-hmm. and they came in, and it turns out their blood oxygen was ridiculously low, where they were not getting enough oxygen, but they didn't feel it. And the theory is that you monitor your blood oxygen for COVID because um, when it starts to fall down, you have a warning to go get help sooner. That's the theory. Again, the problem is that that's a narrative. And what is the science? And that Apple doesn't have that. Now, I'm sure Apple wants that and wants to get that. But it doesn't have that now, so it can't market it this way. And my guess is that they put this in to the Apple Watch very much thinking of a medical device approval. And it may be that COVID has actually thrown the medical device approval stuff completely out of whack. Because presumably the sensor was in planning long before COVID, right? Um, But this has added this whole layer of complexity to this issue. And so what I'm saying is I know why Apple didn't sell it properly. Um, I understand that. I also kind of understand why that's a good thing because I'm not sure they've got the backing to make that kind of claim, but it ends up being the sensor. That's kind of a medical sensor, except not really. And you're right. What does that mean? What, what is, why, why do I care if I'm not an elite runner? Why do I care about this oxygen sensor? And the answer yeah. is mm, because can't it ends really up say. Kind of being the point like, all right, they got a better altimeter in there as well. Right. Well, I don't care about that because I'm I'm not going on at high elevation. So like, right. this is like the the watch of us the, the watch series six is is not really interesting to me because no, except that's, that's the why. only thing that, that if I wore the Apple Watch every day, the thing that would make me consider buying it is the brighter always on sure screen. But because I don't wear it every day, like that's not enough for me. Yeah, well, and that's why the colors came in here too. Is is it's they're pitching in a whole bunch of different features because this is a pretty incremental update. So it's like, you know, it does this and this and this and this, huh? And some people will get that. But the truth is that most of the people who are going to buy the Series Six anyway aren't upgrading from the five. Mm-hmm. They're upgrading from a lot beyond, you know, way back. And yeah, these if are you just are, if you if you are like a four or a three or a zero or whatever, like 
this one's great, right? Like it's it's fantastic because I think the the series five is great. Like it does a great job at what it's at what it does, and so the six is better than that in certain ways. But if you're coming from something before the five, you'll be very happy with this update. But if you're coming from something before the five, the SE might be enough for you anyway. Yep. This episode is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. If you're a fan of The Office. If you are, you know, you probably know that it's based on a UK series of the same name. But did you know there are nine other countries with their own versions of The Office that you've probably never seen? And you probably didn't know about them because they wouldn't be available in your country. But you can access this content that's available from around the world when you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN can let you control where you want sites to think that you're located. You can choose from nearly 100 different countries, giving you access to content that isn't available in your region. If you like watching shows or movies, ExpressVPN is a great tool to have in your toolkit. It's a must-have, in fact. For less than $7 a month, ExpressVPN can let you access thousands of new shows and movies on streaming services that you're used to. It's a no-brainer. You could use stuff like Amazon Prime, Disney+, Plus, Netflix... It couldn't be easier to use. You just fire up the ExpressVPN app on your computer or TV, select location, and hit connect. I have been using ExpressVPN for years, and it works great for this very purpose. I have used Netflix to watch some TV shows in the past uh, that have not been available for me, and it's super great. I've actually done it in the inverse as well. Uh, We spoke about Schitt's Creek earlier on in the show. Uh, I was traveling when one of the seasons was available, And it's available for me in the UK on Netflix. And so I was able to go back to the UK and watch it when even though I wasn't in the UK. So it's super useful for that as well. ExpressVPN, super fast. It doesn't slow down your connection, meaning you can stream content in HD quality with no issues. So get the most out of your streaming service today at expressvpn.com slash upgrade. If you go to that URL, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That is expressvpn.com slash upgrade, expressvpn.com slash upgrade to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. It is time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions <laughs> to round out today's episode. And the first question this week comes from Ryan. And Ryan wants to know, so now that we've had time to think about it and lust after it, do we think that the iPad Air's Touch ID sensor will make its way to the iPhone 12? I'm really going back and forth on this one a lot, Jason, uh-huh. honestly. Because, like, I want it for sure. And you can say, like, oh, these things take a lot of time. It might not have been in their plan. We don't know it wasn't in the plan, right? Because people saying that, like, oh, you know, they want uh, Touch ID back in the age of COVID and stuff like that. And, yeah, that's true. But the thing is, people wanted Touch ID back before we in the West were wearing face masks because in Asia, they've been wearing face masks a yeah. lot. And we spoke about on this show, because I remember it, because I remember doing some prep for a show after the iPhone 10 came out. And we were talking about the fact that I read a report somewhere about face masks being an issue. And the reason I re- remember this is because of how stupid I felt. Because I was like, wait, what? Face masks? I was thinking about like face masks that you put on for like exfoliating. Right, that was my what because that's what that phrase meant to me at the time, and I felt like an idiot when I then had the realization: no, they mean like face masks you wear when you're sick, 
right? Which is a thing that I know people have been doing forever in Asia or for a long time because of the original SARS, which is, by the way, like I will continue to wear face masks here forever now. It's just a part of my life, right? Like I will, this is a thing that I will continue to want to do. So this is a thing that Apple has been aware of for a while. It is not impossible that they had always planned for this to be in the iPhone 12. It is also not impossible that they made this decision back in February to add it. These phones will be eight months later than that. I know that people say this stuff takes a long time. I know it takes a long time, but I'm sure a company like Apple can move heaven and earth with their manufacturing partners mm-hmm. to add a feature. So what I'm saying is difficult, yes, impossible, no, which is why I am not sure what I think about this happening. Yeah, I don't have any inside knowledge about Apple's hardware approach. Everything that we've heard and read suggests that every iPhone and every other Apple product is really designed multiple years in advance in that pipeline that Tim Cook always talks about. It's a long pipeline. It's like a years-long pipeline. Okay, I will accept that. Of course it is. They are planning stuff out way in advance. I get it. You can't just slap a bunch of stuff together and say, well, here's the iPhone, right? You can't. So you've got to plan. I will accept that, but I don't know if I accept the idea that Apple, this is one of those things of like, oh, Apple just can't do it because you know if, we hear that a lot. Like people who are convinced that everything Apple does is right, but that everything Apple doesn't do is because they just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like they are the most powerful <laughs> and uh, rich company and on the face of the earth. I bet. And this is their most important product. Do you think that given that they have a touch ID sensor that works in a power button for the iPad, which means that already I'm starting to think maybe they didn't just engineer that for the iPad, right? Like maybe they already are thinking about the iPhone as a potential for that. And if they didn't put it in the iPhone 12 and then COVID happens, they're like, oh, wow, the whole world is wearing masks now. Are they surely a company as resourceful as Apple, who knows how important the iPhone is to their business, would say, at the very least, could we do this, right? Could we, at the last minute... I mean, we, we've definitely seen them swap things out at the last minute based on reports, right? Where it's like, well, this mm-hmm. thing was in all the DVT versions of the phone and it isn't there. And you can see on the logic board where it was, but it wasn't in final production. You know, and I know it's easier to remove than to add, but like, is it not possible that in March or April, somebody at Apple said, could we use that sensor, that Touch ID sensor we're working on? Could we swap that in to some of these iPhone 12 models? And maybe the answer was no. Right? Maybe the answer is no, it's just too far along, or the placement, it has to have this stuff behind it, and that's already locked down in terms of the design. But I choose to believe that Apple is more flexible and has more capability and isn't just one of these, well, what you gonna do? Check back in two years kind of companies. And and I would say that honestly. As an operations guy, if Tim Cook looks at this situation and says, how can we not react for a year and a half to something that happens? How can we not react faster than that? I would I would consider that a problem of my design and production system, that you can't change on the fly 
in case something like huge like COVID happens. So to bring it back to Ryan's question, do I think that the Touch ID sensor will be on the iPhone 12? I don't know. Flip a coin. I I will say I'll be disappointed if it's not because it should Me be. Too. Yeah, it should it be. It should be. Mm-hmm. And they've had, I know not years of warning, but they've had a long time since the world changed to make this change. And if they fail to do it, I don't think you shrug your shoulders and go, well, what you going to do? Everything's done years in advance. I think if you're inside at Apple, you're like, we shouldn't be able to get caught flat-footed like this again, right? Like wrong-footed. We should not be put in this situation again. Because, the, I mean, it's face ID is a liability <laughs> in an era where people are wearing masks. So uh, if the iPhone 12 comes out and it has only face ID... It's a failure. It's a failure on Apple's part. Mm-hmm. And they've had months to figure it out. So I don't know if they'll do it, but they, they should have done it back in April. They yeah. should have done it. I, I agree. Like if I will, if it hasn't happened, I will understand that they, for whatever reason, didn't do it. But I will still say that it is a failure that it didn't happen because I like I get it right. Like I I can understand how it can be difficult to do it, or like I can understand that like maybe they couldn't fit it in, right? Like as you said, right? Like it just wouldn't fit, and what they couldn't do was redesign the entire phone. But I will still I will still be disappointed about it, and I will still say that like that that would be I would consider it a failure because I would want I want it to be in there. Like I want it to be in there, and it will be great if it is. They have the technology. Like, the technology exists. Like, it's worse, right? Like, if the iPad Air didn't have that feature, I would be more willing to accept it. But Apple are now shipping a product before the iPhone 12 that includes this technology. So I now want the technology in my phone. So, Yep. Uh, Kibby asks, if you could add one new feature to the Apple Watch, what would it be? This is an easy one for me, Jason. I would like to see an Apple Watch with a round face. I just want to see what it would look like. I want to see what they would do. I think it would look nicer, personally, for my own tastes. So I would like a round face Apple Watch. I think we're reaching the time where that's going to be a thing that Apple needs to do is is provide at least a variation, mm-hmm. uh, physical variation on the Apple Watch. Like it's been it's been it's a while. One it's been six design, years. right? Like their other yep. products don't don't do this. They have, you know, is I know that they have different sizes, but like whatever. But like there's only been one design really, and and they've made some tweaks to it. But you know, like if you imagine what's a what is an iPhone 10 like redesign for the Apple Watch? It is a new physical shape. That's that's what we're talking here. Uh, my new feature is going to be an OS feature, so it's it, it doesn't have to be in the hardware. Although if the hardware can add some, you know, more machine learning subprocessing, that would be great too. Which is use machine learning to properly detect when I stand up. Uh, okay, right. Because I want, never yeah. i I never get credit for standing up. Um, except t- there, sometimes I get credit when I'm not standing up for standing up. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like whatever model they're using to determine based on their sensors what I'm doing, they need to retrain their model to be better because it doesn't, it's great that it can detect hand washing, but it can't detect me standing up and cooking for an hour in the kitchen. Um, that's ridiculous. So that's that's going to be my my thing is is please do a better job of sensing 
my motions and giving me credit for it. I actually turned in, in watchOS 7, you can reduce your goals <laughs> and increase them. But let's focus on the important part, which is you can reduce, reduce them. them. And yeah. I've reduced yeah. my stand goal because it wants me to stand 12 hours a day and I don't get credit for a bunch of times that I stand. So I, I've reduced my stand goal to eight hours because <laughs> I'm tired of it. I never meet my stand goal and it's not because I'm not standing. So, um, and I've done the thing where I stand and I wave my arms around and I move around and all of that. And it like, I just, so that's what I want is I know it's hard. You've got a limited set of sensors in there. It has to guess what the humans are doing. Maybe you can use some of that fancy machine learning to retrain this thing to figure out, uh, better what is going on on the outside. L. Ray has asked something that I've had many people ask over the last week. Has anything been said about how the Apple One bundle will work if you have separate iTunes and iCloud accounts? So this is, there are some people that have an iCloud account and then they have an iTunes or an App Store account that they use for purchases and they're on different Apple, they're on different email addresses. So like you have your Apple ID address and then your purchases address and how is this going to work for the Apple One bundle? Now, whilst I do not have details for you here, Chris Espinoza, who was employee number eight at Apple. Seven, eight, something like that, yeah. Uh, Chris's Still there. bio on Twitter is eight, so I'm assuming that's what that means. Uh, he replied to a tweet from Christina Warren and says, and I quote, it manages that, I just double-checked. Now, we're going to have to see what the details are, but it, it's not. there's not nothing, which is what I thought. I thought it was going to kind of just be like, ah, you're on your own uh, here, merge, right? Um, but it seems like that there's going to be some kind of way for Apple One, the bundle, to work out how this is all going to work together. Uh, I do kind of feel like if you're doing this, it, it might be time to try and find some way to merge it. I don't know how you do it, but... I can't imagine that this this functionality is gonna, this functionality is going to continue to give you issues into the future. I'm sure. It's like I always worry. I have a at mac dot com email address, <laughs> right? Which was at mac became mobile me became iCloud, and I am always concerned that that's gonna that that uh the the whatever they're doing to make sure I still get my email is gonna break one day. But yeah. And Noah asks, we're going we're gonna to finish and start today with things that I'm sure are going to be contentious amongst our listeners. So I picked this one particularly. Noah asks, what fingers do you use to press command space on your keyboard? I had a contentious discussion with some coworkers about the quote-unquote correct way. Personally, I use my right thumb and left thumb for command and space, respectively. Jason, what do you do? Let's, let's start with you. I want right, to know okay. what you do. So I had to monitor myself today, right, to make sure how I was actually doing this. Mm -hmm. um, of course. And I, 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 I kind of have two options here. Sometimes I use my left ring finger uh, for command and left pointer for space. That is my typical one. So the, I don't know why, but the middle finger just gets completely left out of this. So I do left command uh, with my left ring finger and then the space with my left pointer or sometimes I use both pointer fingers. So pointer on always left command on my left hand and then my right pointer finger on the space bar. Does that make sense? Wow. So you use, you're spacing, you're spacing with your fingers. Uh, yeah, it turns out. But not, not when I type, just when I do this. When I type, I use my thumbs to use space. 
Mm-hmm. But when I use this shortcut, these are the two ways that I do it. It is always left pointer finger on left command. No, wait, it's not, is it? It's always left. I'm always using left command. Sometimes it's with my left ring finger, sometimes with my left pointer finger, and then it's either the left pointer on space or right pointer on space. Okay, so when you're issuing, not typing, but issuing a command space, you're mm-hmm. using your left hand exclusively and yep. putting one of your fingers on the command key, on the left command key, and one mm-hmm. of your fingers on the space bar. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Now, I'll just say again to Noah, uh, correcting quotes is good. Mm-hmm. The, that's, again, the reason we do uh, have keys the way they are is that everybody can choose their own way to press the keys. Mm-hmm. And there's no right way or wrong way. Um, but that said, I do it exactly the same way Noah does. Left thumb and right thumb. All thumbs. All thumbs. All the time. So you use left thumb for command and right space, uh, right thumb for space. Yep. You never do right on the command? No. No, I never use the right command key. Ever, ever, ever. And I don't know what keyboard broke me of using modifier keys on the right side of the space bar, but I never use the right the modifier keys on the right side of the space bar. Not even for like command P to print, which you could normally mm. do with one hand. I don't. My left I, thumb does the command key and my, mm. one of my right fingers does the P. I use the right command if I'm doing like command return or something. I use the right command. Yep. Never. 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 So you could just you could just reprogram that key for something else, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely could. Interesting. If you would like to send in quite I love these questions, by the way. Uh, yeah. So if you have stuff like this, I always want it. Um, <laughs> so you can send in questions, hashtag AskUpgrade on Twitter. Or if you're in the Relay FM members Discord, you can use question mark AskUpgrade for that to uh, join the Relay FM members Discord and get access to Upgrade Plus, which is a longer version of the show with no ads. Go to getupgradeplus.com. And thank you to everybody that is an Upgrade Plus subscriber. Uh, if thank you so much to our uh, sponsors this week, that is the fine folk over at Express VPN, Smile, and of course our friends at Hover as well. If you want to find Jason's work, you can go to sixcolors.com and at Jasonell on Twitter. Jason hosts many shows here at Relay FM as well as the Incomparable as well. Uh, I am I Mike I M Y K E, and you can find my shows here at Relay FM as well. And uh, again, if you want to donate to St. Jude, go to stjude.org slash relay. Uh, we're continuing to raise money for St. Jude up until the end of September. So you've got just over a week left to go on that. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>